seriously, like, persist, like, I heard a lot of no's before I heard a, a yes, but, like, I just kept going at it. I kept reaching out to people. I kept going to interviews. Um, and eventually, it's an opportunity came my way. So, like, do not give up. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. We are here with a first ever format we are super excited about. We have not one, not two, but three guests, all of them MailChimpers. So what do you call yourselves? They all work at MailChimp, and they're all UX researchers. Um, But they have very different paths of getting there, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the many different ways of finding yourself in a UX research career and what that looks like at MailChimp. So thank you so much for joining us. We have Judd Vaughn. Hey, Erin. Hey. Uh, We have Kalita Allen. It's a pleasure to be here. And we also have Christiane Elliott. Hello, everyone. And JH is here as always. I am. And uh, since it's a podcast with MailChimpers, I need to just get this out of the way. MailChimp. I feel like I had to say it before I got too far in. So I'm done. I apologize. Thank, thank you so much for catching that. It's like a requirement. <laughs> yeah, the, the MailChimp podcast connection is strong. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We, again, are just so excited to test out this new panel format. This one began uh, as this is not the first time with a tweet. Uh, Judd, you tweeted your sort of, I think this is from LinkedIn, uh, your you know experience at MailChimp That's several right. years there and the kind of trajectory of how you got there. And I it caught my attention. I thought, wow, you know, we hear all the time that people end up in these UX research careers in so many different ways. And that struck me in your kind of quick resume as well. And so I said, Hey, would you be interested in talking about that? And that's, you know, how this episode was, was born. So thanks for going along with the idea. Yeah. And thanks for finding me. <laughs> I'm nothing if not a good internet stalker. <laughs> so I would love to hear from all of you. Um, we'll sort of start at the end, I guess, or maybe midway, um, depending on how you look at it. But when did you first know in your career that you were interested in research and in UX research specifically? Whoever wants to start. I can go ahead and start. Um, so I think in terms of research, uh, I didn't have an initial urge to get into research. I think I associated research mostly with academic research, which didn't really appeal to me um, after getting to know some of my professors in undergrad. Um it just, you know, you hear a lot about the politics of academia and to how it's very slow to get your, your stuff published. I was actually an English major and I studied journalism too. So I was interested in like digging deep and especially in like secondary research, interviewing like that. Um, I don't think I knew that UX research was a thing hmm. until, it, and I'm in the room with uh, Christiane and Kalita and they're both nodding. <laughs> this is a similar uh, part of our journeys, not knowing that it was a thing until a few years, probably before we even started doing it um, or less. Um, I didn't know it was a thing until I started working at MailChimp as a customer support 
agent and I started seeing, you know, posters of personas go up mm. and uh, newsletters about insights that were being uncovered. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting that this work's being done. Mm. So that's where it first started for me. Cool. Yeah. And, and similar to what Judd was saying, you know, I had no idea that UX research was a thing. I actually was a um, psychology major uh, at Georgia State University. And it was my senior year of college that I actually worked as an RA at a, at a neuropsychology lab. And um, it was really that time that I was really mostly interested in the medical field. And so it was actually the partnership that the neuropsychology lab had with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta that actually most interested me because I thought it would be a good thing to put on my resume. Um, <clears throat> but it was actually during that time as a research assistant that I became more intrigued with um, our brain tumor participants and how the cause, cognitive assessments measured their ability to problem solve and their working memory and verbal comprehension um, and how our participants improved over time. And so that was really my first introduction into research and in particular, more so academic longitudinal research. Um, but with UX, I actually didn't, I didn't know it existed. And it wasn't until um, I had graduated and I'd gone through different career tracks. And I finally figured out that um, I wanted to do a startup. That it was really just um, working through all of the different um, possibilities in Atlanta um, that really finally you know, made it, made it a possibility that, uh, UX research was even a thing. Hmm. Yeah. So Judd, you sort of went from research sounds boring and political to there are these cool artifacts hanging around. What's this? Whereas Kalita, you kind of got interested in research by doing it and then learned about this other kind of version of, of research, UX research later on. Absolutely. And then Christiane, what was your experience like? Yeah, so um, similar to Kalita, I was a psychology major in undergrad, and I didn't really know like what I was going to do with that. Um, but I got an opportunity to work with a professor on a research project, um, and I just remember like reflecting and thinking like, oh, this kind of work like makes me feel good. Um, I feel like I'm making a positive impact on my community. Um, and I just really kind of fell in love with the rigor of the research process. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember thinking, like, I feel like I can do this, like, after I graduate. And so I just kind of kept going with that. Um, and like Judd and Kalita, I didn't know about UX research uh, in undergrad. But once again, I got the opportunity um, and just did a lot of self-reflecting. And I was like, I'm really happy. And I like do this kind of work. Um, so that's that's how I felt about the research. There's a theme there of everyone's kind of mentioning that they didn't even know this existed as an undergrad. Um, anyone have ideas on why or, or whether or not that seems like that's going to change going forward? Like, it seems like people who are psych majors, um, you know, knowing about these types of roles within tech companies feels like really good career paths, potentially, in a lot of cases. And it seems like kind of a shame that there's probably a lot of kids out there that don't even know that it's something that they could explore or look into. Do you guys have any thoughts on, you know, why that might be? Yeah, I think UX research to some degree is still a relatively new field when you compare it to other psychology professions, such as being a counselor or a psychologist or maybe a teacher. Um, and so those are the ones I think that our professors are more privy to just because those are the 
um, professions that they were um, aware of during their time. So I mm-hmm. do think that there is definitely much more work that we could be doing to allow um, future students or students to be aware that, you know, UX research is a career pathway um, and it is a really great pathway specifically for psychology students. How many UX researchers do you know around are there at uh, MailChimp? Uh, so we have about 17 UX researchers on our team. Mm-hmm. Including managers, I think. Yeah, are we including managers and interns as well? Yeah, sure. We have about 20 on our team. Okay, yeah. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that amazing? Pretty amazing. We have a we have a pretty pretty sizable team really for UX research, at least from what I've seen. We've got fifteen percent of the team right here, so that's pretty good. So, so you've got about twenty people at, at Mailchimp. Uh, any idea that I'm digging deep deep here? How many have psychology degrees? Is it just the two of you, or is this an even more well represented phenomenon? <laughs> We're all like signing to each other, like, is it one or two? Or three? <laughs> right. At, at least uh, we know that uh, um, our, our the senior manager, who's kind of above our our, our group, uh, uh, has a background in psychology. Um, we we definitely have we also have a market research function mm-hmm. here, and a lot of them have psychology yeah. backgrounds, so it's definitely not uncommon. Yeah. Cool. So PSA, if you're listening, psych undergrads. Cool. So, um, right. So back to the, the psychology piece. So two thirds of you have uh, psychology degrees and uh, we, we talked a little bit about kind of, you know, how you found research as a, an eventual career opportunity, but did you have a different plan in mind, uh, initially or, uh, were you, were you like me and Judd with our liberal arts degrees, just hoping things would work themselves out? <laughs> Uh, I would say all of the above. Um, So like originally I started out as a bio major because I thought I was going to go to medical school. And then I was like, no, I'm not. Um, And I took a psych course and I thought that material was very interesting. And so I switched over to psych and I still like didn't know what I was going to do with that. Um, But I had like an advisor and we were talking about kind of like the traditional paths that you can take, you know, going to get your master's or your PhD. So I was aware of the different kind of paths that I could take, but like, I guess I just didn't feel compelled that any certain path was right for me until I kind of landed on that research path. And I was like, okay, like this feels, feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to Christiane's point, I just want to add something here. I think that psychology is a really good kind of catch all bucket. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're not really too sure about what career you want to start with, especially when you get into college, um, I think that, you know, psychology is a good way for you to understand humans a little bit better, to understand yourself a little bit better. Um, And, you know, psychology is just such a great way of just understanding um, and investigating human behavior, you know, their motivations, their goals through observation and questioning. Um, and that's what really helps us kind of build that pathway into UX research. Um, but to answer your point, Aaron, you know, I had a general idea of what I wanted to do. I, I was also pretty sure that I wanted to go into medicine. Um, but there was also this interest, this kind of like nagging interest of doing something in uh, visual arts as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Um, Judd, it, you moved from a support role at MailChimp into you know a research role. Is that like a common thing? Have other people done that, or did you kind of blaze that trail, or how did that come to be? That's that's a really good question, um, and it, it's happened a few times. We have one we have one fellow researcher on the team now who came uh, through support along with me. His name is Brian, um, and to one of the original researchers named Jen Downs um, actually came through support as well. So I had a couple examples. Um, to to follow and come up with, uh, but I'd say for the most part, uh, uh, we're pretty out, outnumbered, um, so it, it's not too too common. Cool. Yeah, I was asking because we have um, we have somebody internally at User Interviews who started on our you know operations kind of customer support team as well and moved into a product role. And I think just what's dawned on me in, in thinking about that transition is somebody who's in a support role and like is on the front line with users is like almost forced to build empathy with what they experience. And so it does seem like it's pretty well suited um, for transitioning into other roles within the organization. So that's cool that, um, you know, other people have been successful in that within MailChimp. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm totally an advocate for people and support getting into UX because they are, like you said, truly on the front lines, experiencing those moments of pain uh, right there alongside the user, whether it be on a phone call or chat or email. Um, and also as coming up, and through an organization, through support, you get to know the product and the users really well. Um, I feel like that's, that kind of baseline was really, really important for me understanding like where the, the break was between the product and the user. Um, a favorite phrase I said for a long time was like, in support, I, I tried to help users uh, understand the product and I wanted to help the product yeah. understand the user a little bit better. And so, um, the kind of a lot of those skills, uh, there's continuity there of and, and asking open-ended questions and not making assumptions and going into a session, uh, leaving your emotions at the door and uh, really just letting someone be heard. One of the things we talk a lot about at user interviews when we try to bring user research and empathy and voice of the customer to everyone is listening to all the kind of passive data we have coming in, in addition to the more active research we do. So whether that's coming from support or from sales or from NPS surveys, whatever it might be, I'm curious, Judd, if having that experience coming from support, if that's impacted how research and support work together on an ongoing basis to kind of share that information and, you know, the full profile of the customer or how you guys work together. Yeah, uh, totally. And it's funny you bring that up because I'm actually working on a project right now uh, that's helping to connect with support because, like you said, passively, there's just so much data coming through to us, like in a quantitative sense, uh, because there's mm -hmm. hundreds of tickets coming through a day and a qualitative sense that if you dig in, you have people describing their, their problems and like in a way that provides real color to what's actually happening. Um, so when I was in support, part, one of the things that got me ready for this kind of role was uh, I started taking a more active role as a voice of customer because I was managing support for um, kind of a side product of ours mm -hmm. called Tiny Letter. And uh, I was able to take that more active role and working with the developer and saying like, here's what's really causing pain right now. And here's what changes I think we should make, making recommendations before I knew that I was making mm -hmm. recommendations uh, from research. Uh, and recently um, I've been working a lot with we have a role called spas. Um, there are no like bathrooms <laughs> involved. Too bad. Spas. There's support product analysts. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, 
And uh, I've been working with them. We've actually been implementing a usability checklist that uh, our team came up with, kind of like a heuristic mm -hmm. review tool. Um, and we've put together a task force of um, support agents who can actually tag when usability issues are coming up uh, in the moment. Um, so then we can collate that along with the support topic and dig deeper. So I, I'm a, such a big fan of this program because it allows us to make use of that data that's just sitting on the table, but is a little mm -hmm. too unwieldy to right. get your hands around. And it also gives those support agents some like extra um, UX knowledge that hopefully they can apply to their careers. Very cool. Christiane, you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum from Judd in the sense that you've had a, a lot of different research related roles. So what's that been like and how has that evolved over your career? So I started in academic research um, and I was just learning how to do research and observing um, basically by working with an expert in their field. So I learned about the grant writing process um, and how to kind of execute research over an extended period of time. Um, and then I transitioned to UX research. And that was all about learning how to do research in a business setting. Um, and it was also like, hey, Christian, you'll also be able to like drive your own research and identify opportunities to do research. I was like, great, now I get to actually uh, do research. Um, and so my role kind of transitioned to, okay, here's how I plan and here's how um, I kind of execute and, and bring a team along. Um, and so I started my UX research career at Home Depot. I was working in their San Francisco office and then I moved to their Atlanta office um, where I took on kind of like a hybrid role of a designer and a researcher. Um, and so that role, I really, the focus was, okay, how do I learn design principles and design basics? Um, and then how does research kind of influence design? And so I spent a lot of time learning the craft of design, um, but by no means was that like my passion or really I felt like the driving force behind like, okay, now I'm going to be a designer. So um, I, I was ready to kind of come back to research. And so that's what brought me to MailChimp, um, where I'm now once again kind of focusing on the rigor of research um, for our product. So it's kind of my, my path. Very cool. No, very cool. I think you, you hear a lot about uh, people who start kind of on the design side of things and then get in, into research. So interesting to hear the starting on research and then learning design as a I don't want to say a means to an end that takes the romance out of it, but not, you weren't trying to kind of become that <laughs> is useful, useful to what you right, ultimately right. wanted to do to understand design. Great. And Kalita, you've been on the design side in a previous role, right? And then moved into research. What kind of, what was the catalyst for that transition? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so when I was on the design side, it was more so um, based off of the past history that I had done with being a freelance designer quite a bit, um, doing a lot of you know visual components, um, some UI, some UX. Um, and then when I started my uh, startup, which was a career discovery startup in Atlanta, um, that's when I actually had that ability to do something that um, Christiane kind of mentioned where, whereas I can do both design and research, um, since, uh, I was really the only UXer on our team. Um, and it was, it was a, kind of a needed skill. And so, you know, 
it really can be pretty taxing to do both, you know, the all of the research, understanding, you know, users' pain points and motivations and their needs, and then having to translate all of that into design. And, you know, you have to really be able to uh, do a little bit of like soul searching and understand what it is that really motivates you and really excites you. Um, and so, you know, after that, you know, three years of, of working in that in that realm, um, you know, I was looking at UX research in particular, and I really liked the thought of just working on an experience and honing that experience, but being able to bring all of the insights from that experience of working with users, um, you know, that, that social aspect um, and really psychological aspect uh, from my background and applying that and bringing those insights to my team. And so, you know, when I started this role at MailChimp, um, it was just great to be able to focus specifically on research. Uh, but then you still, of course, have that design aspect to some degree because you are working on interfaces and products um, to make someone's life better. Mm-hmm. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it, so get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. I have a uh, kind of a speed question for all three. So there's been a, you know, a couple of like different winding paths that you've all taken to get into user research. Um, do you think that like those experiences like have strengthened it and made you a better researcher and you're happy to have had them? Or is it, I love user research and I wish I'd known about it earlier and gotten here in a more direct route? Uh, can, can maybe like each person just kind of go by and pick their pick their vote? Yeah, I would say I would not replace my career path uh, into research by um, with an HCI degree or some some more direct pathway because um, the, my circuitous path gave me like the superpowers mm-hmm. that differentiate me from the rest of the team, uh, and I'd I'd say the same for my my teammates as well. So, um, uh, <laughs> with without that, I know you asked for a speed round question, but. <laughs> Without that, to, I wouldn't be able to to do my job in the exact way that I do it, and so uh, I would not change. I love um, that you call your past experience your superpowers. I'm going to seal that. Cool. What's the rest of the group uh, think? Please. Um, so, I I would have also just I I'm for the windy path. Um, I think just the perspective and the different kind of situations and just building empathy for humans by just working with humans in all different capacities have really, um, it's, it's been a great fit and a great foundation for a UX research career. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I'm going to go against the group and say, I wish that I had done UX research first. No, I'm kidding. Seriously. (laughs) No, seriously. Yeah. Um, there really is no substitute for having really a, a winding career path, um, trying to understand, you know, what all is out there, 
but then trying to understand yourself because it's really a process where you're doing both at the same time. Um, and so if you are only just focused on UX research and everything that comes from that, you're missing out on some of, you know, the writing skills that came with, you know, Judd's background as being an English major or the, um, you know, really understanding humans and human behavior and motivation through, you know, psychology like Christian and myself's um, background or even, you know, the, um, you know, the visual aspects to really being able to understand like heuristic principles, um, which came from, you know, my background as well, and just thought principles um, from visual, a visual um, design background. So there really, there really is no other alternative that makes the most sense in my mind um, for, you know, really being able to pursue UX research to your fullest ability. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll show my cards. I, I had a hunch everyone was going to pick the winding path and the experience being valuable. And the reason I ask is, um, I agree. Like it makes a ton of sense that all of these, you know, context and experience you've all gained in your careers are super valuable. But if somebody was starting out earlier in their career and they just graduated with their psych degree and they're like interested in getting into UX research, do you think there's a path where they can go right into it? Or do you think it's better for them to be like, Hey, find an interesting company and get into you know, a product or support role or design role in any capacity and, and figure it out later? Or like, what, what kind of advice would you offer somebody um, kind of weighing those two things? I think I think there is a path. Um, uh, and I've seen people people do it, um, where they've gone straight from undergrad and found a, like a great company and been able to demonstrate that they have the skills to to jump right in. Um, and we have great researchers here that learn pretty early on that they want to do something like this. Um, I think it's all about if you, it, the type of person you are, not trying to force uh, like a square peg into a round hole. Um, if you feel like uh, you're going to be frustrated by that initial um, breakthrough moment, which I think will be kind of hard um, to jump right in. Um, and like we've been talking about, we gained all these skills along the way. Um, so if you do do that, just make sure that you're focusing on the ways that, you know, you can make yourself um, a little different from the rest. To, and I think a lot of that just is through doing what we did of following your own curiosity and your own interests and, and building that into your practice. Yeah, I think it also depends too on the amount of, um, you know, the amount of um, experience someone has had, you know, throughout school, right? Because a lot of times we see people who are really just psychology majors and that's all they do is just take their classes. And so they are not really getting those internships or having the mentors or actually having some, you know, job experience. And so I really, I, I, I personally am a, am a believer that you have to have some of that, um, you know, tangible experience and that on the job experience to be able to know and to compare, um, you know, different types of professions and to see if it really works for you. Uh, so I do think that it really does depend. Yeah. And I, I'm a huge proponent of internships. And so what I've seen in recent years in the UX research field are internship opportunities like we have here at MailChimp. Um, and so we've had some interns come through here and who are now associate UX researchers. So there is a path and I think there's an opportunity to try it out. So like you can try out a UX research internship. A lot of companies have them. And if it's not for you, then great. You've learned early enough to pivot. But um, yeah, just just 
seek these experiences in undergrad because they're out there. Um, You're all kind of talking about an idea that I find interesting, which is, and I haven't thought of before, which is UX research is this interesting role in that, sure, you could study HCI or get a lot of academic knowledge, but there's something so experience-based and cross-functional and, you know, the psychology and understanding people that, you know, there's life experience is valuable in this role, right? And it's valuable, obviously, in, in any kind of role, but especially in this one, which is making me think of something, you know, we talk about a little bit on the show, which is this continuum between, let's say, rigor and getting the research done, between academic research and just getting it done, you know, between um, everyone should do research and only people who know how to do it, quote unquote, right, you know, um, should be doing it. How do, where do you land on that continuum and has your past experience beyond being an academic researcher informed that perspective? Um, so I'll speak to that a little. Uh, yeah, so I kind of like you said, it's been a struggle for me because I did start in academic research where it was super rigorous and there are a lot of rules and regulations like it's it's very stringent. Um, and then I moved over to the UX research side and it was a bit more fluid and it was a bit more like we trust you to make the best decisions. And I was like, wait, what? Like, uh, <laughs> where, where's the protocol? And so um, it's I, I'm more adept now to to just getting the research done, um, but doing it like in a way that I think is uh, true to mm-hmm. our craft. Um, So there is rigor in New York's research, and I think that um, it's important to to call it out and to kind of follow the rigor. Um, But it's not black and white, I don't think. I think it's it's pretty gray. Like, I think there are times when we have more time to really be rigorous and to really be stringent with the protocols or processes. But there are times when we really do just need to get the research done. So it's about what's best for our users, what's going to help our product teams move forward. And that's up to the researcher to really decide. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Christiane's saying. Um, You know, back in June, I ran a workshop called Yes And, uh, Soft Skills for Improving um, UX Research UX research abilities. And, um, you know, I found from, from working on that, but just also life experience that you re- it really is a two-pronged approach, right? So you do have to have those soft skills that are honed really from being able to have, you know, interpersonal relationships and, you know, working together in groups, being able to collaborate and empathize and, you know, uh, apply active listening. Um, So those are things that you really can only learn through life and through, um, you know, working with different types of individuals. But then there is that Mm -hmm. rigor that is so necessary and so needed. Um, It's the reason why, you know, throughout our our research kind of, you know, practice, we specifically find um, specific times where we are just focused on the research at hand. Um, So this could be times where we are analyzing research and synthesizing so that we can share it with our teams. Um, so you have to have both because when you think about, you know, the, the soft skills part, that's the part where we're constantly like facilitating workshops with large groups. Um, but then you have to have that rigor as well 
So it's, it's really, it's a balancing act for sure. And I'm not sure where I am on that spectrum, but definitely I have a foot in both parts. <laughs> yeah. A related kind of question, right? So we've just discussed how all three of you took the different paths to become UX researchers at MailChimp. Um, so obviously unique experiences, unique skills and, and all of that, but now you're in the same role. So do the three of you kind of like, what things do you do the same in your role and what things do you guys do differently and like leverage those unique experiences and skills? Like where, where are the similarities and differences across what you do now? So I can talk a little bit uh, about this um, in terms of what I do and we, we can go around and talk about the differences. I would say um, uh, another part of my experience, you know, after support, I was fortunate enough to be staffed to a team that really had to be uh, sort of cross experience and interact with a lot, a lot of different teams. Um, that's the mobile app team. So like mobile app is kind of a minified version of uh, the big product. It doesn't include everything and, and it shouldn't. But if it falls out of step with the experience of the bigger product, it doesn't look quite right or if it doesn't feel like a continuous experience, it sort of fails in doing its job. Um, so that was my first job uh, as a UX researcher, being embedded on that team. And so what that gave me um, kind of on my path uh, as, was that experience going across domains. So now I'm doing a little bit more of like holistic research, which is cross-cutting through the entire MailChimp experience. And I was able to sort of level up that skill of working on all these different teams, going to my other research pals and uh, seeing what they're working on and establishing relationships and um, uh, sort of using the, the initial research skills that I was applying to one hmm. specific part of the product to more of the whole thing. And it sounds like when you were on one part that was related to the whole thing, right? Like the mobile was different and yet part of the entire experience. And so that was a good segue to what you're doing now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, because we have, we have like two sort separate types of research research here. Um, mm -hmm. We have our embedded uh, researchers on teams, which, which I was doing before. Um, and I, I was able to get some of those skills of, you know, cross cutting the experience um, into the more holistic role that I'm in now. Interesting. So if you have 20 UX researchers, how many are embedded versus um, not? That is a great question. And we're all smiling <laughs> because uh, um, <laughs> as software companies love to do, we're reorging, we're reorging right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, TBD on that, uh, I think uh, right now the rough estimate is uh, we have uh, around... Um, uh, a third doing fully cross-cutting experience research, a third doing embedded research, and a third um, doing quick insights and mm -hmm. uh, more day-to-day -day lab work. And that's a transition from having more allocated in what direction? More allocated uh, embedded model. So okay. Uh, okay. until probably last month, we only had, uh, um, I think, two or three uh, cross-cutting researchers. So... Kalita, Christina, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, I can. <laughs> so, uh, you know, speaking of the transition that, that Judge just mentioned, um, that's kind of where I am right now. So I, I was one of the embedded researchers for about two years at MailChimp. 
And so um, now I'm actually just now starting to move from being embedded, focused on a specific product or a specific user problem, um, and now shifting gears and um, focusing more on the holistic experience. Um, So yeah, this is, it's definitely an exciting time for us at the moment. Um, So I am embedded. um, And so I work closely with uh, product managers and designers and engineers and marketing and other researchers, like tons of other disciplines. Um, so my past experience really helped me just from having to work with different types of people with different personalities and with different expertises. So all of my previous experience kind of helped me be able to kind of work with and build empathy for just working with um, people in different disciplines. Um, and then Aaron earlier you asked about rigor versus just getting the research done. And that's something that like I have to ask myself constantly Mm -hmm. by being an embedded researcher. It's like, how much rigor do I need to get the research done so that we can make data informed decisions? Um, And so, yeah, the team is constantly like looking to me to kind of help Mm -hmm. determine that. So is that something that like the researcher on each team has some autonomy over, or do you guys try to have like a similar bar around rigor across the teams? I think it's it's hard to to measure like how much rigor is being applied across the board. But fortunately, I feel like we we're very collaborative as researchers, even though we're kind of spread to the the four winds of Mailchimp to investigate these different problem spaces and go deep or go wide. Um, we have a lot of really great ways to um, work with each other and build up each other's strengths. Um, like we have. Every Friday, we present research for each other. It's called, it used to be called Research and Bagels, but now I think it's called Insights and Carbs to be a little bit more inclusive <laughs> of your uh, favorite <laughs> breakfast pastry. Um, uh, and so we, we, uh, we, we get to talk to each other, and it's a great, like, safe space for us to say, like, oh, so how'd you come up with that? Or what was your methodology? And to, have you considered this? So we can sort of change things that are in flight. Um, uh, we have our team meetings once every two weeks where we, we really get to work with each other and, and to uh, lean on each other and level each other up. So while I don't think uh, we specifically say like, okay, if you're in this area, like focus on doing it quick, focus on doing it quick. Um, uh, we, we try to make sure that we're all um, doing work they're proud of and to, it's amazing to have a team that helps, helps you do that. And so the, the bar is kind of continuously being raised in that way. Yeah. And I just want to add, uh, I've been here for a year now. And in the year I've been here, I've I've seen our team kind of move to a place where we have started to talk about processes and rigor and, you know, and what situation is a good situation to try this type of methodology or to run this type of workshop. Um, and our team is starting to come together for different events and workshops just to talk about like, here are some ways to share findings and how, here's how to be effective uh, when you're synthesizing or bringing a team along along your research journey. So, Awesome. I like that. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like the support system and the collaboration is kind of what helps keep a high bar, not like some, you know, clumsy mandate of do it this exact way, uh, which seems like a pretty smart way to do it. Yeah, for sure. We do such a good job of kind of partnering up. Um, one of the things that we had previously was... Um, you know, each 
uh, researcher would be, you know, embedded to a specific domain. And it wasn't just one researcher. Typically, you would have, you know, two researchers partnered together. And so there's constantly, you know, that collaboration and that mentorship where we get to work together and we have that checks and balances. But then again, as Jed mentioned, we were constantly getting together and having, you know, meetings and, and workshops and, you know, activities and, and ways of learning and sharing information together. So, um, you know, we're learning across our, our research team, but we're also learning from that one on one partnership as well. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that can speed up your development as a researcher, and this probably applies to all fields as much as uh, having that close collaboration and to uh, those times with each other. I think we were talking the other day, kind of preparing this interview, and we were talking about how all of us re reached out to someone doing the work before we were doing the work. And getting to talk like with someone in the community uh, is just such an invaluable way to do that. So it's great we have like a micro community here that we can use to, to that end. I'm now picturing this as like a like a buddy cop film, right? So you're like like buddy researchers <laughs> on a mission, you know, to discover the truth. Lots of lots of dad jokes. It'll be a good one. It's a sitcom. You mentioned all reaching out to somebody doing the work before. You said before transitioning into UX research. Is that right? That's right. That's that seems like an interesting coincidence. What did what did that look like for each of you? Well, I can go first because I feel like I have the simplest answer. Since I was already at Mailchimp, uh, I. Um, was privileged enough to have researchers in the building. Um, so for me, what that looked like was I was in support doing my voice of the customer thing before it was my job. Um, but I realized like I didn't know much a lot ab about it. I was sort of just being really scrappy and collecting data as well as I could. Uh, so I emailed the research manager at the time, uh, Larissa Wolfram Ross, and uh, she connected me with uh, um, someone who still works here, a colleague named Carrie. Um, I'm forever grateful to her for spending about 30 minutes with me, um, just telling me all the, the blogs and books I should read and how I could improve my processes. Uh, um, uh, so in that way, I was able to level up what I was doing just then. And I, I had consumed a lot more of the resources before an opportunity even open up to me. Cool, cool. All right, so you had it easy. You could go inside your organization. Yeah, uh, totally. Christiane, how did you find a UX researcher to speak to? Uh, so I just started browsing on the internet and LinkedIn. And so once I found out about the role title, I was like, okay, well, what is this role? So I just did a Google search. And then I started looking for a UX researcher on LinkedIn. And I started to just reaching out to people and reaching out to recruiters to be like, hey, can you describe the role or, or tell me what this role is about? Um, and I actually had very nice people who were willing to like meet me for coffee or just, you know, transact, you know, have a conversation um, online. So people are I've noticed in the UX community are very welcoming um, and are very willing to, to talk to you. Can confirm. So. It's very true. Yeah, and I'll just go ahead and pop in here. Um, you know, definitely the way the mention the way that Christiane just mentioned by reaching out to just someone you know, relatively random online um, was definitely a way that I was able to, you know, access a UX researcher. But also, um, since I was uh, very kind of invested in the community at the time, because I was trying to shop around my startup, it was really um, Atlanta Tech Village and ATDC at Georgia Tech. Um, that was really a, a good way for me or kind of a first way for me to be able to find that audience. Uh First, it was really just like that UX community, but then also like hone in on UX research individuals. Um, that was helpful. And then also we have 
really great meetups here in Atlanta. Uh, so we have, um, you know, Ladies That UX and IXDA Atlanta. So just by going to those and networking, I was able to really build up a very solid support system um, that I, you know, still connect with to this day. And it really helped me understand UX research even more. I was just talking to Carrier, content creator, and we're we're actually publishing a top UX research FAQs kind of ebook situation. And by far the most common question we see, and we've scraped the internet and done a bunch of research to try to find what do people want to know? Uh, people want to know how do they break into UX research? And so I think you've, you've given some, some really good insights on how to do that, but anything to add for anyone listening with that question in particular? Yeah, I'll start. Um, I, I definitely think just being scrappy, right? Um, so going around, understanding your community. So I know that not everyone is going to have the resources that we do here in Atlanta, um, like the really great meetups that we have or the incubators, but there are individuals out there. Um, so, you know, if it is just a really quick Google search um, and reaching out to someone mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, you know, those, those tools are really just invaluable. Um, the internet as a whole is a really, really great way for you to just understand that, you know, UX is a thing. I mean, if someone just, if someone is even listening to this podcast right now, then they know that UX uh, research is, is actually a thing. So you have um, already a really great starting point. Um, so just, you know, reaching out to individuals, learning from them and, and, and starting your own, um, your own project. I think that's invaluable because that was really what taught me. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the advice I would definitely give to someone who's interested in this path. Great. Yeah. To, just to mm -hmm. echo, uh, Kalita, um, doing the work before you're told mm -hmm. to do the work or, even in some cases, unfortunately, pay to do the work, I think is really important, even if it is a practice project for something you're passionate about. Uh, I recently I used to, um, we have volunteer time here at MailChimp, and I used my volunteer time to help do UX research for a local nonprofit. And that just came about from um, a fellow a fellow coworker here, an engineer, just reaching out to them, another cold call and saying, hey, can we help you with this? Um, uh, so whatever you can do to get to, you know, a little bit of that thinking under your belt, because time spent doing that project, I think is so valuable during that first interview to have. Um, not speaking hypotheticals, saying here was how I approached it and here's how I learned it along the way. Mm -hmm. um, even if you didn't do it perfectly, just having that, uh, it makes you so much more relatable immediately <laughs> to that person who's interviewing you. Um, along with that, to, um, yeah, the events are great. Uh, one of my favorite ways to keep up with uh, the field right now is through Slack channels. Um, I want some of my favorite are um, the mixed methods another great UX research podcast. Uh, there's a wonderful community that sprouted out around around, um, around that um, the UX research collective. Uh, um, you had one of the founders on recently. I saw Alec was on one of the episodes. Um, they also have a, a Slack channel. Um, most of them are in Toronto, but a lot of great general information. Um, and the interaction design association. Um, there's an awesome Atlanta chapter Slack channel that I follow along. And that's great to just force those connections, find out about the events, because when you're first getting into a field, like you don't even know what you don't know. You don't know where to look to find everything. Um, and so if you could just be a fly on the wall and 
see what people are talking about and start clicking on links. Um, that's, I think that's a, a good start too. And then of course, um, if you can find a, a product company that cares a lot about its users mm -hmm. um, uh, and to, you can find your circuitous path to UX research via um, some sort of customer facing role. And that could, that could be being an account manager or an onboarding professional or support role um, uh, and getting to know the users and the product really well. I think that can position you in a really great spot to, again, start, start doing the work before you even start doing the work. Yeah, totally. Great. Sort of putting yourself in the way of serendipity or something. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I think that's a lot where there's there's a, a lot of um, things that can't be replicated about my journey. Like there's a lot of luck and to, um, there's a lot of privilege involved in that. To, um, but there are, there are certain things that can be. And I think the, the, those things are just taking that, that interest and start doing it and forging those connections. Um, so, yeah. I'm just going to uh, add the, the cliche, <laughs> never give up. Uh, <laughs> just hang in there. Just we'll add the graphic there. to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but seriously, like, persist, like, I heard a lot of no's before I heard a, a yes, but, like, I just kept going on. I kept reaching out to people. I kept going to interviews. Um, and eventually, it's an opportunity came my way. So, like, do not give up. Um, and this is so timely because I was like downstairs in the market <laughs> yesterday and someone literally asked me like, how do I get into UX research? And I was like, well, just reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and let's grab coffee and we can talk about it. So yeah, just be persistent. Don't give nice. up. Nice. That's a good one. Christian's tenacity is one of her superpowers. Yes. Well, to tenacity. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd. <laughs>